Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome. It is uh, edition number two of the Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I am Brian Wheeler, your congenial host. A terrific first edition with Blazers head coach Terry Stotts on Monday. How the heck could we possibly top that? Continue the momentum as we move on for our first week of these podcasts. Again, we'll be with you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at least during the NBA season. Hope to keep up that kind of momentum during the offseason as uh, news presents itself. So uh, we are definitely in the uh, stretch run of what is a very competitive and exciting NBA season to this point. Hopefully it continues. And we know that our run of uh, terrific guests will continue because we bring on one of the uh, hosts of Blazers Outsiders. You catch that fine program after each and every Trailblazers telecast on Comcast Sportsnet. And it's Danny Marangas with us. Danny, how are you, sir? I'm good. That's that's it's quite the introduction, Wheels. You can't build me build me up this high, man. It's <laughs> it's w- when people realize who it is after you you sit the table that hard, and then you just say it's Danny Morang. It's no, like, no, oh no. come on now, man. No, no, no. I mean, not now. For those that don't know, you're a married man. You're a homeowner now. Yes, you're a ver- veritable Renaissance man in in every respect. You've you've dropped some weight. You're 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 more svelte than ever. Uh, you are a man about town and uh, very much uh, a noted. NBA expert, NBA observer. Uh, how is life these days as more than just a Blazers outsider? Yeah, you know, it's been crazy. Um, I, I've talked about it on on my pod a, a little bit, but I would highly recommend not getting married uh, and doing a wedding and moving into a new house uh, all during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it, that you continued and didn't pause at the not getting married part. You, you, you're not yeah. advising not to get married. Just, just maybe the timing of it was a little bit... Made 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 uh, what is an interesting time anyway a little more interesting. It sounds like yeah. So I mean, but across the line, we had uh, we were supposed to get married last summer. Uh, obviously, the pandemic kind of derailed that. Uh, then we had the uh, the wildfire scare, uh, and I obviously used to live on the other side of town where it was a a real issue <laughs> as yeah. far as being. Uh, Good way to put it. Yeah, it was one of those situations where we were on alert. Um, so that was certainly something uh, mildly frustrating. And on top of all that, uh, I lost a contract gig as, as um, uh, the pandemic first spun up. So I, my, my other day job disappeared. So I have left scrambling and had to start a new, new job in a new place. And it was, it was nuts, man. Uh, I'll be honest. And now to see where I am a year later, uh, we've got, you know, a, a nice little piece of land out in Newburgh. Um I've got a brand new puppy. I've got a fantastic wife. The, honestly, the only only I guess uh, subpar thing in my life right now is the Blazers' p- level of play. I guess that's <laughs> that's the only thing we really deal with. I'm I'm thrilled overall with life right now. I, I really, if anything, I've I've looked back over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months, and I I can't. I, I honestly can't be happier. It's it's been incredible. And I've told my wife that a, a lot over the last couple of weeks. It's been like, wow, it's finally happening. It's all coming together, and it's it's especially with darker things going on around the world. It's, it's something really nice to have, be able to fall back on right now. Well, the Blazers uh, playing better, of course, falls under the category of something that you can't really control. Uh, yes. I, I learned that, uh, you know, my, my, one of my favorite uh, uh, people in the world uh, was my best friend on the trailblazers uh, traveling party, uh, strength and conditioning coach, former strength and conditioning coach, Bobby Medina he used to tell me all the time. He said, you know, I gave up a long time ago uh, trying to determine and depend on, these guys pointing to the players to make my life happy. And, uh, and I, and I used to, I used to try to take that advice as best I could. I think I became a better 
uh, loser after after games uh, when things didn't go well for the team. I still think I, I felt it for a while, but I think I recovered better uh, kind of with that advice because it is true. I mean, you can uh, cheer for them all you want. You can uh, you know try to be excited when things go well, uh, but ultimately uh, you're not uh, putting in the shots, uh, trying to get to a loose rebound or make a defensive stop or whatever. And uh, But not easy as a, as a fan, as you know, because you started yeah. as a fan. You still are a fan in many respects. You talk to fans all the time. Um, it's not easy because we, we like to feel that we have something invested in the team. And because of that, we can sometimes control everything from sitting in the same chair that you did uh, the last game when they played well or wearing the same shirt because they, they did something well or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, you, you have certain friends that say, you know, they won't call a friend uh, uh, during a point in the game because the last time they did, things didn't go well during that stretch. And so, uh, so we all have the superstitions and so forth. But it's, it, I think it's all part of being a fan. But when you get right down to it, it's still are things we can't control as much as we probably hate to admit that. Oh, for sure. It, it, it's crazy. Uh, I remember growing up and watching games. I, I, I was a diehard sports center fan. And I remember I would stay up as late as I needed to, to catch the first sports center. If the Blazers won, if the Blazers lost, I could not watch that highlight reel. <laughs> I could not do it. It would, I'd get angry. I would get frustrated. You know, I'd shake my fist at the sky and, 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 and curse the basketball gods, you know, um, certainly my, my, Demeanor has changed in that regard, uh, trying to be um, as objective as I can. I, I still, I mean, I, I still have guys that, I mean, honestly, I pull for all of these guys, but at the same time, I've also never pulled any punches when it comes to being critical of things. I'm not, I don't take shots at guys. I don't, I don't, you know, go after guys personally, but level of play, good, bad, or otherwise, it, it's like, it, it took me, it took me a long time to kind of come around fully to it and fully understand it, but this has almost been 10 years now of covering the team, obviously four years doing the show. So it's, it's, it's definitely been a, a change from where I started. Like I, I, <laughs> I went back and, and wrote or read some of the things that I originally wrote uh, years ago. And I was like, God, that's awful. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's definitely come a long way since that point in time. And I think, like you said, when you take a look back at that stuff, you go, yeah, that doesn't make a ton of sense that I held that point of view, but I was insane. So that hey. in that sense, that made sense. <laughs> well, you know, I, I interviewed the late, great Johnny Most, uh, the longtime voice of Celtics one time, and I asked him about his moniker as the ultimate homer. And mm. I, I said, how do you feel about that? He goes, he goes, I have no problem with that. He said, uh, I, I believe you cannot travel. Uh, you cannot spend time as much time as we do around uh, uh, players, around coaches, uh, the uh, the essence of a team and not care about what happens to them to a great degree. So he said, I, I, it doesn't bother me, you know, at all about that. And I, I used to, uh, when I, when I was, uh, when I was doing the Blazer games, I used to like the fact that there were other announcers that were considered more homerish than me. Uh, and so, so I wasn't necessarily the worst of the bunch. I didn't mind being probably in the upper half, but I, I you know, Gene Peterson of the Rockets who's has since retired, Loved having him around because I, I, I listened to many Rocket games uh, when the Blazers weren't playing, and I liked Gene's voice and everything, and I thought he, he did a colorful call. Uh, but uh, he'd have certain moments where um, a friend of mine, Jim Cosimore, used to be uh, the uh, pre-F and post-game host, the Jay Allen of the Rockets broadcast. And so he, um, he, was, at, uh, he was at the Rockets, uh, Rockets home game at the Summit, and he didn't have his headset on at the time. He's watching the Rockets play the Kings, and normally he would have his halftime segment full of highlights of the Rockets doing good things. But in this particular case, there was a play where Corliss Williamson playing for the Kings uh, stole the ball 
Uh, he spun around two Rockets defenders. He came in and he dunked the ball on Akeem Olajuwon. And even the crowd of the summit gave some oohs and ahs because it was something that just didn't happen very often. It was very impressive. And so uh, the Kings were ahead at the time at halftime. So Jim felt he would play that highlight as a, you know, indication as to why they were ahead. So he called back to the studio and he talked to the Rich Patterson of the, uh, of the Rockets broadcast. The game, I guess, was not televised. So this guy is only getting Gene Peterson's call as to uh, how the game's progressing. So uh, Jim says during a commercial break, hey, hey, can you pull that uh, Williamson dunk that happened just a little while ago and use it at halftime? And he said, Williamson dunk? And he said, he said yeah, that was, it happened you know, a couple of minutes ago. He said, well, I'll listen back. He said, I, I didn't hear anything like that. So the way Gene Peterson called the play was, he said, um, there's Drexler driven the ball up the floor, uh, loses it to Williamson, makes his move to the hoop, might have traveled, lays it in. <laughs> so, that was, so, and so I thought, well, at least I can say I've never been so much of a homer that the description of the play for the opponent was totally inaccurate and, uh, and not not even close to my, now, I may not have been excited that Williams had dunked the ball to Elijah one, but I think I would have had to say say that happened. But Gene was also known for one of the great lines of all time to me. Um, always, you know, let let the fans know if he felt the officials were not being fair to the Rockets. And it was another home game at the, the summit, and he felt a few calls were going against the Rockets. And he said at the time, "Fans, this is amazing. We're getting hosed in our own building." And so, and so I thought there was another great comment that uh, that I probably couldn't have produced, but I'm glad that he was around to do so. So, so Homer uh, reporting is uh, is something that I think uh, you know we all have noticed at some time. Now, growing up in Los Angeles as I did, and listening to Chick Hearn and Ben Scully mm-hmm. and Dick Enberg and so forth, then moving to Chicago and listening to Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse. You know, I became a kind of a hybrid of the two styles. L.A., you would never hear a homer call. Chicago, sometimes you never heard anything but a homer call. So I think <laughs> it was kind of a, a kind of a – I never said we or us or them when doing a Blazer game, but I think people pretty much knew uh, that I wanted the Blazers to win and certainly was disappointed. If it's they, implied. If they didn't win, yes, it was kind of implied. <laughs> That's why I guess the great tribute was when people would say, I tuned the game on and uh, when I got in my car, and I didn't know the score for a few minutes until you said it, but even leading up to it, I kind of sensed – how the game was going based on uh, how you sounded, your your emotion, uh, just in the in the way you were describing the game. If you sounded a little down, I figured that we were probably losing. So so I guess that was you know maybe the closest I came to really true homer announcing. But uh, but uh, so as we talk about the the homer team in town, the Blazers, um, thirty one and twenty three after a tough mm-hmm. loss uh, last night, certainly a, a terrific game that uh, didn't go their way against uh, the Celtics. Uh, so they're still occupying that sixth seed in the very competitive. Western Conference. Um, how would you analyze how the season has gone to this point? Uh, we're getting now to two-thirds mark, so obviously things getting very yeah. critical for this uh, this shortened NBA season in terms of the regular year. Yeah, they got 18 games remaining, uh, and they've kind of been who they've been all season long. Uh, they haven't really competed with with the upper echelon teams. They've only you know won one game uh, above them in the Western against the team above them in the Western Conference. Uh, They've gotten a few competitive games against the Eastern Conference elites. Uh, obviously, they, they got the two Philadelphia games, which I think were some of the weirder games of the season, certainly. Uh, obviously, the C.J. Ellaby game. And then uh, they had the other one where they competed relatively well. Uh, I'd say even last night against the Celtics, they, they competed for the first time against the team in, in a while. Uh, there, there was some promising stuff from that. Uh, I, 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 I hate that anybody who's watched the show. I hate moral victories. I, I don't I don't like them in professional sports. I don't think they're necessarily that important, especially when you're talking about a team that's um, looking to build towards the playoffs. If you're a Sacramento and you've had 
time struggling for the past 20 years and you're building towards, you know, building a new culture. If you're the Charlotte Hornets, if you're one of those teams and you're trying to establish something, then maybe you can consider moral victories. But if you're talking about being a competitive team in the playoffs and, and really chasing things, I don't think those exist because you have an established foundation and you know what your real goals are, which is to compete in the playoffs. So far, this team this year hasn't shown I think what they've shown in, in past years is that those, even in games where they would inexplicably drop a bad game to a bad team, they would show up against the good to the great teams and not just compete. They, they would, they would house a team pretty regularly. And you were like, okay, they have been about as steady as a metronome this year, which is really strange considering how this Portland franchise has been in the Damian Lillard era. They, they typically struggle to start the season. They ramp up after the all-star break. And then they, they're usually playing their best basketball going into this, this stretch right now. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. And I don't know if I can really p- figure out why that is. And you look at this team, they're still doing okay. Like you said, they're still sixth in the Western Conference. They've been sixth for essentially two months, which is kind of crazy when you're talking about consistency. There hasn't been a whole lot of change uh, up and down the standings between the four, five, six spot uh, for really a majority of the season. Um, but I think we're about to see some 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 upheaval uh, between probably six through ten uh, here in the final 18 games because so many teams are playing against each other. And it's hard to figure out exactly where this team's going to be because the, the only indicators that it given is that they're they're good, they're just not great. And in, in order to be successful in the playoffs, they're they're going to have to be great. But the the good news is, if you're looking at that silver lining, they're going to have the opportunity to, to prove that they can be great because they have to they're going to have to beat a lot of really good teams over the next 18 games if they're going to be competitive in the playoffs. Frank Layton, who of course uh, was. Uh... Uh, head coach, general manager, president of the Utah Jazz. I got to know him um, uh, very well uh, back in the uh, '90s, and uh, had some discussions with him about uh, about uh, NBA teams and uh, and the the uh, uh, stability of the Jazz franchise. How how they had the same head coach and uh, mm-hmm. star players for so many years. And I asked him about that, and he said when when he became uh, when he became involved with the Jazz, he talked to uh, to the owner. Larry Miller. And he said, you know, um, he said, in my mind, and, 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 and he decided to take a trip uh, one summer to uh, evaluate um, franchises that were consistent winners in every sport. So he went to, went to go see the Dodgers in baseball, the Canadians in hockey and the Cowboys at the time in football. And he tried to see, is there a common denominator that makes these teams all successful over the course of a great many years uh, versus uh, the way other clubs maybe do their business. And he said, the common denominator was continuity of personnel. And he found uh, an usher that had been at Dodger Stadium for 20 years. And so uh, so he said, you know, we decided that uh, and he told me about the fact that they had a chance to get Dennis Rodman, for instance, in a trade. And, and we just said, we just don't feel that he's the type of you know, player that uh, that we you know, would want to have in our franchise. And they took a chance on Chris Morris came over and he said he talked to Chris Morris. Uh, this was in his role as GM at the time. He said, I'm going to tell you this this much, Chris. I know you've been, uh, you know, well-traveled uh, in terms of being with a few other teams. Um, he said, Jerry Sloan has been here before you got here. He's going to be here maybe after you leave. He says, up to you um, how well you want to how well you want to handle the situation because he's not going anywhere. <laughs> so if there's any uh, problems with the two of you, I can tell you who we're going to uh, err on this side of uh, support with. And so uh, during the year, they had problems with Morris. He only lasted one season and he went elsewhere. Uh, so, and he said, we, he said, he, he said, I feel we maybe could have taken a shortcut or two to try to win a championship, but we wanted to do it in our way. 
mm-hmm. in our minds, the right way. Uh, so stability is something that, uh, that that probably is a continuity. I mean, you look at the Spurs and all the all the years they've been successful. Um, they've obviously had great continuity personnel too. Uh, so the reason I bring that up is if the Blazers uh, don't go far in the playoffs this year, uh, it will still be another uh, playoff berth. It'll still be mm-hmm. uh, again uh, a, a good season, maybe not a great season. Uh, and Portland fans, as we know, are so supportive of the Blazers. It, it's rare where you get and uh, just a a, a swell of of, um, of of people just saying we got to get rid of the head coach, we got to get rid of mm-hmm. the general manager, somebody like that. At least, you know, maybe in in uh, eastern East Coast towns or something that might be a little bit more something you'd see, but rare to see it in Portland. So my question is, do you think that Terry Stotts ever becomes in danger of losing uh, his position if the Blazers don't go a certain um, uh, a certain way into the postseason, uh, or the fact that he gets there again? And the fact that, again, this is a bit of an odd year with all the, you know, the pandemic uh, uh, adjustments and so forth. Uh, is, is there some maybe, um, you know, some some leeway that a coach gets in that situation? Is, is there any reason to think that he would be in any trouble if the Blazers somehow get to the playoffs but get ousted in? They get swept in the first round. Is there any, any, any reason to think that he's in any danger considering that it would be once again a uh, playoff push and he's been able to provide that kind of stability for, for this for this franchise? Yeah. Coming into the season, I didn't think so. Uh, the way the season has gone, uh, particularly the defensive woes, I think the chorus of change is getting probably too loud. Unless the Blazers make a deep run, I, I would be shocked if they didn't um, move on from Terry, which is really? unfortunate really? in a sense that I, I like Terry. I mean, and the thing is, he has his faults. There's no doubt about that. But I think he puts guys in the best position to be successful, particularly Damon CJ. Uh, and more importantly, and you've, you obviously have been around the league a long time, Wheels. He has the ear and the respect of the star player. And in this league, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what X's and O's you drop. It, it doesn't matter, um, you know, how good you are as a tactician. If you don't have that... And the thing I always say about this is, is Ty Lue the best coach in the world or does he just have a good relationship with LeBron James? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of situations he doesn't get Ty Lue doesn't get that job in Cleveland unless, you know, there's a good relationship there. It's not that Ty Lue's this masterful tactician. It's because he's got a good relationship. And that's the same thing with Terry. I understand why people would want to see change because they want to. And I think this is true across all sports. It's much easier to blame a coach for a team's shortcomings than it is to like really look deep down at the players to go, this is where our shortcoming is because the, your players are your heroes, especially for the, for the younger guys. You know, you, you look at them and you lift them up and they are faultless. There's always a justification or excuse or something along those lines. And again, it's, it's not to say that, that Terry has had, you know, has been perfect. I, I think the new Orleans series um, was subpar to say the least, but outside of that, I don't think there was anything really that, excuse me, I'm going to try not to sneeze. There we go. Uh, I, I don't think there was ever a situation where um, they truly underperformed. I think they've, they've pretty much exceeded expectations the entire time that, that Stoss has been the head coach, with the exception of maybe maybe this year. Um, the one thing that I, I think I find myself frustrated with organizationally was that last year and this year, they, they talked about being a championship caliber team. Championship caliber teams don't talk about being championship caliber teams. They just are. They just, it just kind of, it just, it comes off of them. It, they, you know, just, it's ethereal more than anything else. You don't have to say anything. Your play proves it. Uh, And I I think that maybe 
doubling down on that um, put the bar up higher than it should have been. And now people are looking at that saying, well, if this team is that good, if you believe it, then why are you know, you're, you're not meeting those expectations. And so when it's all said and done at the end of the season, Terry Stotts is going to have nine years as, as a head coach here in Portland, and they're going to have one Western conference finals appearance. And if you compare his resume across the board to coaches in the modern NBA, every single one of the coaches that basically gets 10 years or more, they, they've got a title. You can look at Carlisle, his mentor. You can look at Spolstra. You can look at Pop. The active coaches right now who were long tenured all have ranks. And that's the one thing that Terry doesn't have. They don't even have the appearance. If they made a finals appearance, Terry would definitely buy himself some years. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. They make a finals appearance. Listen, he can, he'll probably get another four or five years. Now, that would be an unbelievable turn of events. But barring probably the Western Conference Finals, I think that they're going to make – not only do I think that they'll, they'll move on from Terry, I, I think they'll take a pretty heavy look at personnel, and, and in particular, Damon CJ, and, and taking a look at splitting them up. Well, considering that Pat Riley got uh, fired as head coach of the Lakers after winning world championships, yeah. that, that convinced me. And I know Byron Scott said afterwards, you know, we got a little tired of hearing his voice. And, and I think after a certain number of years, uh, you can be uh, a very successful head coach. And yet mm-hmm. maybe people are tired of, of hearing the same, uh, same motivational, maybe it's hard to come up with new uh, ways to motivate a team and so forth. If uh, you've got the personnel that have been around for a while. So, uh, and the tricky thing about from a Blazers perspective, trying to get a feel for what uh, they might think uh, is that, um, you know, ever since Paul Allen passed, Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really hear Jody Allen make nope. any statements to know exactly where she's coming from. You're never totally sure. There's always the, the kind of a quiet, uh, uh, the rumblings quiet, quiet, of Vulcan. Yeah. You know, are, 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 do they really want to have the team long-term? Are they just trying to get it in a good position to sell? You see a team like the Timberwolves sell for as much as they did. You start thinking, well, now Minnesota can be sold <laughs> for that much. And what could a, a stable franchise like, like Portland be sold for. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you wonder, you know, is, is, is Jody in it for the long haul? I know that the executives say the right thing. Um, you don't even necessarily hear all that much from Neil and uh, in, in terms of what he thinks about what's going on, at least publicly. So, uh, but then again, I, you know, look at the Spurs. I, I don't recall Peter Holt ever saying very much uh, publicly as owner of the team. So maybe they just kind of let things be handled by the basketball people, a, a novel idea, I suppose, in some circles. But uh, so it, it's not necessarily easy to figure out, um, you know, where things are at long term. Uh, some of those things are probably kept pretty private as maybe they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but you're right. I think once you get to a certain level of of tenure put in, you either get real impressed that somebody has that kind of tenure or you're like, well, what all have they accomplished in that amount of time? And and is this enough to uh, to to warrant future. Uh, and, and you always have to ask if, if that guy is not the right person for the position, uh, who who's better. And who's that's not, when who's it gets real game. dicey. Yeah. And I think that, that's something I think it's, it's up for consideration. I, I know a lot of folks have pointed to David Vanderpool because of experience with Damian Lillard. Um, I, I just, I don't know if which, which way is the right way to go for this franchise. Do you, do you, I mean, teams typically go from, you know, if you've got a player's coach, you typically go to a, a bit more of a drill sergeant. That's uh, ne- not necessarily player's coach. You go from the guy who's got the ear of the star player to the guy that's a little bit more rigid. That's usually across all sports. You typically get the opposite reaction one way or the other. Well, if it didn't work this way, let's try this way. The, the thing that I always think about when we're talking about coaching and leadership changes, I always 
go back to my time in the military. There's a reason why commanders change command so frequently. It's so that the, the, that that voice doesn't get stale. It's so that new and fresh ideas are consistently injected. Uh, you're building up new leaders. It's, it's 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 like building up your you know your military coaching tree because you want to get those experiences in these different places and and understand that different places do things different ways for different reasons. And I think that's that's one of the things that. I typically look at and I go, okay, well, they're doing this, this, and this. What would coach X, Y, or Z, you know, what, what could they possibly bring in to, to change this, that, or the other? And we all know more than anything, the first domino to fall in professional sports is always the coach. It's the coach first, and then you start looking at the higher-end personnel, and once, and then you start evaluating those changes. And so if they're going to make real changes, it's going to start with, with Terry, unfortunately, and then it's going to go to Damon CJ in that backcourt uh, and Yusuf Nurkic even. I mean, that's that's kind of the way um, the, the framework of this team goes. So uh, if they're going to make those changes, and I, I, I could see why they would do it uh, after nine years, and th- I think this is the offseason to do it because of the way the books are structured financially. It's the uh, Believe in Blazers podcast, Believe spelled – B-L-E-A-V. Don't try that when you're in a spelling bee, but in this case, it's uh, the Believe in Blazers podcast because we are on the Believe podcast network. Brian Wheeler joined by Danny Morang of the uh, Blazers Outsiders. You catch his act uh, each and every Trailblazers uh, game afterwards uh, with uh, Joe Simons. Uh, and tell everybody how they can catch you also if, if that's not enough. And boy, it should, <laughs> shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. So, so how they can catch your act via podcast as well. Uh, you can find me on social media at Danny Morang at D-A-N-N-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. You can find me on YouTube, on the YouTube channel, backslash Danny Morang. Uh, and you can also find me on the Blazers Edge podcast weekly. Uh, I'm Now that uh, the world is not ending, I'm married, moved into my house, and have my puppy. Uh, and most of the studio set up, I will be back to recording weekly again. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be back to cranking out content as, uh, as long as the season keeps rolling and then into the off season. Now, people hopefully are very familiar with all you do surrounding the Blazers, but they may not be totally familiar with uh, your background, uh, how everything came to be. So, so how did you become a Blazers outsider? Uh, so that came about uh, was obviously four years ago now uh, because of my time at Blazers Edge, uh, working with them on the podcast with Dave Deckard and, and writing there for years. Um, and a big shout out to Dave for always giving me opportunities. A good man if ever ago. there was one, yes. Um, and Ben Gulliver, who uh, obviously I went to high school with, I've talked about before. He's the one that kind of nudged me in into stuff years ago. Uh, and Dan Sheldon, who I was doing a podcast with uh, at 620 years ago. Two other um, great men, yes. I, I, I've Honestly, I, I've had a, a lot of help to get to where I got to, uh, right place, right time. Um, I got an email from NBC four years ago asking me if I wanted to try out for the show. And I believe there was about 12, 15 of us that went in. Uh, I knew probably half the room hilariously i did not know uh joe or shane at the time um we went in uh both shane and i went separately with joe and we both looked at each other and said well there's one so (laughs) we we all knew everybody knew joe was in there was no doubt about that he was hands down the, the the best uh host there it wasn't even close uh shane and i went in um and so somebody told me he was a comedian. I'm like, Hey man, I've got a stupid idea. And this isn't even really my wheelhouse, but I'm trying to play off you here. I was like, what if we just went in and we're like, just broke down, which players were, which Lord of the Rings character, like just have some fun with it. And it was an abject disaster. I mean, it was, it was so off the rails. We, we couldn't breathe. We were dying laughing so hard. And we found out later that they loved that, that they loved that. We just had fun 
and in the moment, it was so terrible that we still had fun. Like that was, that was what kind of made it come together. And then uh, Joe and I had a, a natural uh, just rapport right off the bat. And, and Shane too, uh, even though Shane's not doing the show with us anymore, we, we all go golfing. Like we all go like, it's, those are two of my best friends in life now. And it's kind of funny that, you know, four years ago, we didn't know each other. Um, but yeah, Joe and I, obviously we've been doing it for four years and, God, we've got a couple hundred, almost 500 shows together. Um, when you start wow. like thinking about it, I mean, you, you know, normally an 82 game season, but with the playoffs and then obviously we had pre and post before. Um, so you're doing two games <laughs> or two shows a day uh, in the 82 game season. It's like, you know, 164 shows in one year. So it's been, it's been incredible, man. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where it could stop tomorrow. And I, you know, I, I, I would, be thrilled knowing what, what I got the opportunity to do, but I'll keep doing it as long as they'll let me do it. It's, it's been a blast. It's been uh, truly a blessing. Well, it's only growing in, uh, in, in popularity. So I don't think it's going to be ending anytime soon. So uh, that's a testament to, to, to you guys for, for, uh, for making it happen each and every, each and every night. So um, now uh, let's uh, get uh, your thoughts on some other teams uh, in the NBA mm-hmm. as we get ready for the stretch run. Um, should people be questioning anymore? Why? Uh, why or whether Utah is a serious title contender, 41 and 14 right now with the best record in the league. No, no, they shouldn't. <laughs> they, they, they've answered the questions. They've answered the bell. Um, the, 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 the only questions for them right now are, are, can they, can they put their best lineup on the floor in the playoffs and execute Donovan Mitchell showed last year in the bubble playoffs that he's, he's a killer in the playoffs. He can, he can backpack an, an entire team. That is a trait that is found in very few players in the league. He is Damian Lillard-esque in, the, in, in a playoff atmosphere. Uh, that's proven. Uh, can he get the other guys involved? Mike Conley looked better for them at times last year, but this year has really come around. Uh, I think is much more Conley-esque of what we saw in Memphis. He's, he's fitting in much better. Bogdanovich is healthy. Gobert with favors back form a incredible center tandem that can just wear on you all night long. Uh, Royce O'Neal, if he comes back around offensively, is a great two-way guy for them. They have got depth. They are going to shatter records uh, as, three, as far as three-point percentage and makes uh, as a team this year. They are incredible. They have a, an actual opportunity to have over 50% of their shots from the field be three-pointers and shoot above 40% as a team, which is absolutely insane. The one question you have to have, though, in the playoffs, in the half court, can you get those three-point opportunities? Because right now, they, outside of the Trailblazers, I believe Utah is second, has the second fewest shots in the paint of any team in the league because they attempt so many threes. You can go cold. Remember, Brian, we have seen a team <laughs> in a conference finals miss 27 straight three-pointers. Yes, we have. <laughs> <laughs> so – You've got to find a way to do it. The, the, the thing is, they do have the guys who can put the ball on the floor and get to the rim in Conley, in Mitchell, in Bogdanovich, in Ingles, who can create for others, who can be secondary guys. And obviously, they have the second, uh, the secondary scoring and creation of a guy like Jordan Clarkson to pair alongside Ingles, who can run multiple bench units. So they've answered all the regular season questions. Now it's can they hang with the big boys and get it done in the playoffs? Second best in the West, uh, Phoenix. They were just a, a nice story. Early mm-hmm. in the season, but uh, now uh, they're sitting at uh, 39 and 15 as we speak. Obviously, a legitimate playoff contender. Should they also be considered a serious title contender? Here's the thing: I, I have them as my dark horse title contender, and I, I've heard a lot of people say from a lot of different teams that teams are looking to play Phoenix in, in the playoffs, and I don't think that's necessarily a matchup you want to court. 
Uh, obviously, Chris Paul is an incredible floor general. His playoff numbers speak for themselves. Uh, Devin Booker is one of probably seven or eight guys who can legitimately score 50, 60 points in a game. He can absolutely carry a franchise uh, for a playoff run. The, the things that I look at with that team is that for the first time in 20 years, that not only do they have star power, but they have real depth. If DeAndre Jordan gets, or DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Ayton can get to the playoffs and elevate his game, they become a serious problem. Mikhail Bridges is a stud. They've got real depth on that team. And I, I know we, we talk about, you know, small guards not being able to get stuff done. Booker's a bit bigger than your average uh, two guard that we've seen. Um, so I think he can compensate for some things. And Chris Paul play, has played bigger than his, his actual size for years. Uh, I, I believe in Phoenix mostly because I, I trust Chris Paul. And I think he's, he's one of the five or six best competitors of this era. And I think this, this is an opportunity for him to really get out on the floor and have a team that, that he fits well with, maybe better with than any team he's played alongside. Even though his numbers aren't great, I think the way he fits into this team may, may be best optimized uh, for what we've seen in his career. And I, 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 I just look at this team and there's something about it where I just go, they, just, they can play fast, they can play slow, they can play in the open court, they play defense, they don't really have any holes. And so as long as they're healthy going into this, I, I, I genuinely believe in the Suns. Who's better, the Clippers or the defending world champion Lakers? I don't trust the Lakers because I don't trust Paul George. Or excuse me, I don't trust the Clippers because I don't Paul, trust, trust Paul, Paul George. Um, he has shown at times that he can be one of the best players on the planet and at times completely and totally disappear. Um, as, as if the Lakers are healthy, I will, I will always take the Lakers. Um, that's the big question, though. Is Anthony Davis's calf a real issue? Because that starts trickling down to the Achilles and you start worrying about that at that size. Uh, is LeBron, who's going to be 37 later this year finally showing signs of slowing down or signs of weakness. Um, but without those guys, the Lakers are still winning game and still have the best defense in the NBA. So clearly defensively, they can get after it even without their likely two best defenders. So um, that bodes well for them in, in, in the playoffs when things go to a half court, uh, they still struggle shooting the ball, but the addition of Ben McLemore has seemed to rectify that at least a little bit for them in the short term. When they get fully healthy, I, I'll, I'll lean more towards the Lakers. In the East, who do you have more faith in uh, can playoff time? Uh, can playoff time, Brooklyn or Philadelphia? I, I want to say Philadelphia because they fit the mold and because I love Embiid. We've never seen this much isolation scoring ability on one single team. I mean, we, we can talk about the Warriors and how good they were as a team offensively. Uh, the, the the culmination or the that group of talent coming together was we didn't think we'd ever see before. Kevin Durant may be the single most unstoppable isolation scorer in NBA history at seven foot tall. He can take you off the bounce. He can pull up. He's maybe the best mid range shooter the league has ever seen. Uh, he can hit from three and he does it with ease. James Harden is an absolute nightmare. And Kyrie has maybe the best handles in the modern NBA. There is not a time in the half court where they don't have the advantage. Now the flip side of that is they are a porous defensive team, but I mean, if you're talking about points per possession in the half court, you've got three of the best isolation players this game has seen in the modern era altogether. You can load your defense one way or another. If they're all three on the floor, good luck. And I think they're a fascinating test case for can, can you overload offense enough to compensate for really bad defense? We've seen teams try. We've seen the seven seconds or less suns, but that team pales in comparison to what this team has offensively with the Nets. 
If I had to choose, I'd probably lean more towards the 76ers because their their stability, their profile projects better, but the Nets have the ability to to break that projection, to shatter what we have seen historically. And I think that's what I think it presents some some interesting possibilities going into the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's wrap it up with this. Uh, the Blazers have been pretty much uh, in that sixth spot, it seems like, for most of uh, the season, or at least uh, in the recent weeks. Uh, you mentioned the uh, schedule not getting any easier coming down the home stretch. Do you expect them? Uh, is six their, um, their high point? Do you expect them in any way to be able to put things together enough to, to challenge to, to go up any higher, potentially even sneak um, home court advantage? I know home court is not the same as it would be in a normal NBA season, but could they get as high as fourth, uh, or do you think sixth is probably where they're going to be? I think their most likely outcome is still sixth, but they're, uh, there's a problem with the with schedule remaining. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are three games behind the Trailblazers. The Memphis Grizzlies play the Trailblazers three times in four nights. And I just keep going back to that. I think we're going to know by the time the Blazers hit that segment of games, because they play the pay or excuse me, the Grizzlies twice. And then the Pacers and Grizzlies again, at the end of that four game stretch, we're going to kind of know where this team is. Uh, I, I think seeding is probably going to make a little bit more sense by then. Uh, the Blazers have, uh, if anybody's listened to the show, I've, I've hit on this a lot lately. They're going to have a stretch of five games and seven nights. They've got five back-to-backs, um, and they've got that, that stretch against the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies also have two games in hand overall. So if the Grizzlies get hot, they're a team that can move up the board. And because they're playing the Blazers, they can have that direct competition to move up. The Mavericks' schedule over the next 10 games is laughably bad it's uh they i believe they have the kings three times the knicks twice uh and a mixture of other uh the lower level teams most of their schedule was was front loaded with uh, a, a difficulty so the mavericks have a chance to move up as they're only a game behind the trailblazers right now so while the blazers do hold their own destiny in their own hands um things line up for the teams behind them very well uh in in putting some pressure on the blazers uh, down the home stretch Danny, you're a good man. Keep up the great work. Thanks for taking some time out of an off day to uh, to join us here on the podcast. And uh, um, hopefully, I hope, hope you get the, a chance to talk a lot of, about a lot of Blazer victories down the home stretch and on into the playoffs. And I know we'll be talking to you again real soon, I'm sure. Wills, you you absolutely know this. It's so much more fun to talk about wins. It's no so question. much more fun. <laughs> There's no getting around that. It's amazing how, uh, and especially when you're with the team as I was, how after uh, after wins, people are like that was a great broadcast you had. <laughs> and after loss, it'd be like, were you were you kind of uh, was something bothering you last night? I mean, you seem like you have cold or something. And so it's uh, yeah. It's Nobody amazing. likes talking about it's, no. it's not it's not fun for everybody <laughs> out there who thinks we we enjoy talking about things that went bad it's not fun it's nope. and it's not a fun listen that's that's always the hard part so it's not a fun uh, doing it's not a fun listen you're no right so, so you, you want this team to win because it's so much more fun that way well congrats to everything that uh, you and joe do after uh, wins or losses mm-hmm. and we'll be watching as we always do the rest of the way but thanks for the time on the podcast today thanks wills appreciate you there's danny morang and the blazers outsiders when we join you next on friday our guest will be the one and only legendary Kevin Calabro. What's he been up to since leaving the Blazers? We'll get his full uh, perspective on that and uh, also what he thinks about this NBA season. It's the Believe in Blazers podcast. Casey is with us on Friday. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks to Danny Rang. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Brian Wheeler. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Have a great rest of the day.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.